So today we are continuing our series. There's, um, there really is something magical about things that are new, isn't there? There's something really, just, just that, that little bit of extra goodness when you get something brand new. I've never had the, the fortune or the privilege of, of getting a brand new car directly from a showroom. Thank you very much, Merv. But um, I've had some, some cars that are new to me. And I tell you what, that the, the feeling of a, a nice new car is, is and the excitement of it is, is pretty good. Um, exploring all the capabilities, you know, the comfortable seats, the, the technology aspect of them, you know, they're, they're, it's good getting new stuff. Yeah, I'm sure that you've had similar experiences and, and you, you understand. A few years ago, we built a new house in Frankston and it was really exciting to move into a brand new house. No marks on the walls. I was so careful putting up picture hooks and trying to get them perfect so I wouldn't unnecessarily mark the walls. You know, put too many extra holes where there weren't supposed to be any. And, uh, you know, there's no dents in the carpet where other people's furniture has been. It's, it's great, isn't it? There's also empty cupboards to fill and to work out where to put all the different utensils and appliances and, and a brand new dishwasher. We'd never had our own brand new dishwasher before or a dishwasher at all, really, until that house. And it was magical. Completely clean slate to make our own. There's just something magical about things that are brand new. But then, like everything, we start using them and they get dirty. You know, that, that new car gets dirty. It, it, it rains and you go through a puddle and it splashes and then, ah, I'm not sure about you, but I think the amount of times you wash a car decreases like this over time, you know, because you don't necessarily care as much because, oh, it's dirty now. Things get marked. You know, you're moving a piece of furniture around and you scratch that wall. Or, you know, a kid has some some sticky somethings and walks down the hallway and, you know, there's little little marks. Or we might drop something that's new or, or dent it. Yeah, and so, 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 so our new things, they get marked, they get scuffed. We might get a, a scratch on these nice new floorboards or something like that. Or you're back into a post. And then that new thing that was so magical just isn't quite as magical as before. You know, sometimes I believe this is how we feel as Christians. We have a really close moment with God where we feel cleansed and we feel new, where we deeply feel God's forgiveness, where maybe we even came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ just recently. And, and so for the very first time, like in Colossians 3, 9, 10, 9 to 10 says, you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. And that is a magical feeling, one of the best feelings in the world, to feel close to Jesus and to feel his forgiveness and love so deeply. Then we continue our lives. We continue to live in our homes and drive our cars, walk down the street, and then we sin. And we do something that we don't want to do but find ourselves doing it anyway and we, we don't feel as new, a bit dirty. We get a mark, we get a scratch, we get a dent. We just don't feel quite as magical anymore. We just don't feel the new life we have in Christ as much as we did before because we've sinned. That new life in Christ seems like a distant memory because right now we feel far from the Lord. I believe this is a common experience for many of us. 
is we've, if we've been a Christian for any length of time. We feel at times like we are far from God. And yet we know that that's not the truth. That Christ is in us, the hope of glory, but we don't feel that. We know that, but we don't always feel that. Today we're going to be looking at this issue. How can we live a life worthy of our calling as Paul lays out for us some practical ways of doing life in chapter 3 of Colossians that can help us put us back on track, help keep our focus in the right areas and point out some areas of occasional and and even habitual sin that, that we need to kill off and instead live the reality of our new life in Christ. Where we left off last week was a reminder that our life is hidden with Christ in God So we shouldn't let anyone disqualify us from serving Jesus with joy. And Christ is our life. That when he appears, we will appear with him in glory because that's where our life is hidden. Our life is hidden in Christ, in God. Then we're given this command. And so because of this reality, because of who we are in Christ, Colossians 3, 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Paul calls on his hearers to make a decisive break with their sinful tendencies that they've carried with them into their Christian lives. He says to put those things to death because believers have died with Christ we can get rid of sinful practices. The language that Paul uses is, is pretty severe and that highlights the severe measures that we may have to take and, and to employ to conquer sin. You know, watchfulness and prayerfulness will will be the first steps that we take against it with self-discipline following. Jesus says in Matthew 5, it's better to gouge out an eye or chop off a hand than for our whole body to go to hell. Like, if you want to talk about serious words, when has your eye caused you to sin? When has your hand caused you to sin? Are you going to chop it off and gouge it out? It's severe. That's what Jesus says. Better do that than to have the whole body go to hell. We want to look at what Paul pays particular attention to here. The first is sexual immorality. This refers to every kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. It's just like a blanket, brush, everything. Outside of marriage, everything. Get rid of it. And five of the things that Paul lists have to do with sexual purity, stressing the importance of bringing that, this area of our lives under control and under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Greed, sexual sin and other vices can intrude into our relationship with God and can take his place as a focus of devotion. And so that, that, that is the definition of idolatry. Whenever we value something more than Jesus, we've made that an idol in our lives. Whenever we listen to a voice louder than we listen to the voice of Jesus, we make that an idol. Whenever we pay more attention to something other than Jesus, we make that an idol. And this is so hard to navigate in our world today because we have so many different pressing and competing priorities and voices demanding our attention and our time that we very easily fall into this trap of idolatry. Some of the common things that begin as well-meaning, noble and even commendable priorities can end up being idolatrous. I hear a lot of people saying that their kids are the most important thing to them. And as parents, we'd say, yeah, Kids are really, really important. Kids are a blessing. They are precious. And we as parents must take great efforts to raise them well and to train them in the way they should go so that when they are old they will not depart. When the priorities we place on ourselves towards our children is greater than that of loving and serving the Lord, 
then we've just made an idol out of our children and family rather than worshipping and serving the Lord Jesus. Now this is a complicated issue for many of us because we, 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 are, we, we are being obedient to the Lord to raise our kids to know and to love him. But for some it can get to the point where our worship of our kids more than we worship Jesus. And, and that, that then becomes idolatry. We need to, mar- to, to guard against making an idol out of our family. You know, one of the things that uh, I, I struggle with is this tension between serving the Lord and serving my family. You know, and I'm sure that all of us at times have this, this in play. I go to work to provide for the family so that my kids can have everything they need, but then I'm at work and I don't have time for my kids. Or vice, you know, it's, it's just life's so messy. But as soon as we elevate our children above that of our priority, of our time, of our finance, of everything, that they are more important than the Lord, we've just made them an idol. And that's what I guess I'm saying to guard against. Another thing we can struggle with is money. Now, we don't need to have lots of money to struggle with it. We can sometimes struggle with it even more the less we have. Everything becomes about money. Who's got it? What it's being spent on? Our whole life can be taken over by thoughts and actions that are all concerned with money. Where is Jesus in all of this? Where is Jesus in your thoughts about money? Just as Jesus is sovereign over our world, over our climate, he's also sovereign over the economy and money. When we worry about money more than we're concerned with our faithfulness to Christ, have we made an idol out of money? Whenever we place more importance and value on anything else over our faith in and obedience to Christ, we've made that an idol. And Paul continues by saying, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. In line with the Old Testament prophets who spoke of the day of the Lord as a time of coming wrath, Paul reminds the Colossians that God will suddenly intervene in human history and will hold everyone accountable. Those who live evil lives will face final judgment. And so Paul sort of poses a a way of doing things that is better. He says, you used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now, I love that word but, but now you must also rid yourself of all of these things. And he lists specifics. I like this. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from the lips. As unbelievers, before they responded to faith in the gospel, the lives of the Colossians was different to their lives under the gospel. And the, the question Paul is saying, well, why would you return and live like you used to rather than live a life that is worthy of the gospel? We should put all that stuff away. And so Paul then lifts five vices that Christians need to get rid of. These five are, are more concerned with our social relationships as believers. I guess you could say, you know, put this stuff away. Stop being angry. Stop flying off in fits of rage. Stop being malicious. Stop slandering people around you and, and clean up your, your language. Because you could probably all sum it up in a positive framework and just say, be nice. You know, isn't it, doesn't, that sort of sums it up, right? Be nice. But if we just say, be nice, then we don't actually call out specific areas of struggle. And sometimes it's less convicting when there's this blanket positive statement to say, be nice, rather than put these things to death. Get rid of anger, rage, malice, slander, 
filthy language. So what are the specific areas that you are struggling with? Is it gossip? Is it selfishness? Is it greed? Is it coveting? Whatever it is for you, instead of doing that, be nice. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now Paul picks up here what is he said earlier about Christ's circumcision of Christians by removing the body of the flesh. Here he employs the metaphor of taking off and putting on clothing. And when you look at the Greek words that Paul uses in this passage, um, who, who here knows fluent ancient Greek? Yep, I don't. Um, but the internet, well, uh, software that does that stuff that I know about, it tells me um, that uh, what this is saying is that it is an event that has already taken place. And so what Paul is saying is that a qualitative change of identity has already occurred in the lives of believers. Once you believe and have faith in Jesus Christ, that change has taken place. And so it now only remains for believers to bring their behavior into line with our new identity, to live a life worthy of our calling in Christ. Our new self being renewed indicates that the transformation of Christians, though, is an ongoing process. We will only attain to perfection when Christ returns in glory. Until then, it's an ongoing process. We've got work to do. And something that we'll continually have to work hard at. There's always this tension when I when we talk about we'll have to do some stuff. You know, there's a tension between doing and being. All these things that Paul is asking believers to do are because of who we are in Christ, our being. Without doing these things, without putting to death sinful behaviour, we're doing an injustice to our being to who we are in Christ. It's an ongoing process because there will always be this tension that we don't have to do anything to be saved, but once we're saved, our new life in Christ demands that we do things worthy of who we are in Christ. Here there are no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. There are no status distinctions amongst new covenant people of God. No one has a special claim on God or is treated with less dignity than any other person. So who are these? We know the Gentiles, right? We know the Jews. Who are the barbarians and who are the Scythians? We know slaves and free people, right? So so barbarians are basically just the rough and tumble, you know, people on the fringes. But the Scythians were a violent, uneducated, uncivilized and altogether inferior people, according to the Greeks. So the Scythians were a people group located on the northern coast of the Black Sea. And what Paul is saying here is in contrast to to such discrimination and prejudice against other races and cultures, Paul shows that Jesus, who is all and in all, binds all Christians together in equality irrespective of any such differences. And so, because we are all equal in Christ, Paul sets out a better way for us to live together. He calls the Colossians to a holy lifestyle consistent with their new identity. Believers have been chosen by God and stand before him 
as his beloved holy ones. And so we're to live up to who we are in Christ. So Paul continues, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, I love getting to know Christians who have walked with the Lord for many decades because they develop these godly virtues and these, these characteristics just, just become naturally part of who they are. Um, my grandfather is 90 and he is someone who, when I can consider my grandfather, I think, man, he has done this. Like, he has clothed himself with compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience. You know, I never hear my grandfather say a, a harsh word against anyone. A few weeks ago, my grandfather got bitten on the leg by a dog and his leg got infected because the medical staff at the hospital he went to did the wrong thing initially. Apparently, with a dog bite, you're supposed to clean out the wound and then leave it open. You're not supposed to suture it up and close it up. Well, they sutured up and closed it up. And so he had this hole in his leg after the medicos got in. They, they basically cut this big hole, scraped out all the infected flesh, and they did they had to do that three times before they could finally, it was clean enough for them to finally get a skin graft on. And so my pa is in hospital still, um, coming, uh, you know, um, recovering from, from these four operations within eight days. Not bad for a 90-year-old. And, uh, you know, but, but through it all, I give him a call. How are you doing, pa? You know, he's fine. <laughs> he's full of kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and respect. And, you know, I, I said, man, it must get you down. He goes, oh, no, that's all right. I'm, I've been looked after well and, you know, I've got nothing to complain about. You know, I was just like, really? Like, man, if that happened to me, I'd be like, cut as. I'd be so annoyed. You know, but he's 90 and he's just, he just oozes these Christian virtues. And that's one of the things that I love about a church that is full of all generations because we get to be around people who have walked with the Lord for decades and decades and decades and see how the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ overflows in their life. And one of these people that encourages me and that is such a gentle man who has such kind words is Harry. He's a lovely man. I'm not pointing you out for any particular reason other than to say, you're like my grandfather, Harry. You ooze these things. I see it in you. And so praise the Lord for the way that he's worked in your life. And Ken, you're another person that has just oozes these these Christian virtues. And so I, I don't want to you know rob you of any glory in, in heaven. Um, but I want to thank you for the way that you've allowed God to work in your life. It, it does take hard work through many years of loving Jesus to develop these characteristics as we walk with the Lord in a manner worthy of our calling. And so Paul, he, he actually continues with a with concept of tolerance. And tolerance is a, is a virtue of the Christian community. Although Paul clearly doesn't want the Colossians to tolerate false teaching, We've already been through that. But he does want us to tolerate each other because we are all fallen human beings. We are all hurt people. We are all imperfect, but we're called to tolerate each other. And not only tolerate each other, but to forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us. For those that were here last week, 
how did we go with our forgiveness of those who have hurt us? When we've been wronged and betrayed, Christians are called to forgive others just as we've been forgiven in Christ. And above all, Christians are called to put on love and to, and to love one another. You know, when Paul speaks here of being bound together, I think he's suggesting that, that love unites all the virtues. I think he's suggesting that you know, it ties them all together and makes it easier to forgive people. It makes dealing with people with compassion easier. It makes being kind easier. Love breeds humility, gentleness and patience because these things are easy to do when you love people that you are called to express these virtues towards. Without love, why would we bother to be kind to everyone to deal with people with compassion? Love unites these these virtues together. And I don't know how we can speak of love in this sort of way of binding us together as Christians without going to what is one of Paul's greatest explanations of love in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Look at what love does. It brings patience. It breeds kindness. It destroys envy, boasting and pride. It brings honour, consideration of others, tolerance and forgiveness. It amplifies truth. It protects, trusts, hopes and perseveres. It never fails. That is love. It binds all the other virtues together. And so Paul then continues and says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. See, if we're able to live as a tolerant and loving Christian community, then not only will we be a beacon of hope, but will also be a community of peace. Now, I guess you could describe peace in this way. It's the absence of fighting. I, I love a peaceful household rather than having the kids whinging and moaning and fighting with each other. You know, like it's, it's just something brilliant to, just to be peaceful, isn't it? It's really nice. And I guess that's, it's really nice to be in a church that is peaceful where there's, there isn't the, the fighting and the politics and all that sort of stuff. There's peace. But sometimes the absence of fighting or conflict is not a realistic expectation because there will always be conflict. But if we approach each other with love and respect, then we can find solutions to conflict in peaceful exchanges and further deepen the peace and love we have between each other. And I, I, I love that it ends this little verse with, and be thankful. You know, remember, gratitude is the best attitude. 
be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The Colossians didn't have the benefits of what we have today in the written words of God. They didn't have copies of the Gospels to hand around. They didn't have the final canon of Scripture that we have today, which we call the Bible. And so one way they would share the words of Christ and the truth of God and and through sound biblical teaching in the oral tradition not written down was to sing songs. You know how you get an earworm stuck in your head and that song just goes over and 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 you can't get rid of it? Anyone else have earworms? Yeah, 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 all the time. Like today, give thanks to God. Like it's going to happen all the time. This week, I can guarantee you that we people would be singing like all of a sudden, bang, give thanks to God. It'll be there. It's a great earworm, that song. It's really good. And I like, like it because it's better than, you know, having a song off the radio stuck in your head. But anyway, we have those earworms. And, and that's what was used to teach truth in the first century before they had the written scriptures. They would sing songs. They would be taught through songs and through hymns and through songs from the Spirit. And, and you know, th- that is a great opportunity for us in our corporate worship today too, to be taught by the words we sing, the truths of Scripture. And so I see a place for worship as a response to what God has done for us, definitely. I mean, He really leaves us no other option than to worship Him when we fully understand what is done for us. Our heart just responds with worship of Him. But we can and, and should be singing songs that have great biblical truths and excellent teaching about the attributes of God which cause us to worship Him also. There's a place for both. And so we'll continue to sing some of the great hymns, some of the great classic songs, some of the great newer songs too that help us worship God for who He is and for what He has done for us and what our response is to the person and mighty work of Jesus Christ. Paul finishes this section again reminding us of some, the centrality of Christ bring glory to the Father. He says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever we think, do or say, may it bring glory to God. So, when you're working, do it for Jesus. When you're driving, do it for Jesus. When you're mowing the lawns, do it for Jesus. When you're on the phone, fellas, those three seconds, do it for Jesus. Ladies, might be longer than three seconds, but do it for Jesus anyway. When you're down the street and in the shops, do it for Jesus. When you're looking after your grandkids, do it for Jesus. Bring glory to God in word and deed. I like that it says, in whatever you do, whatever. Does that include everything? Is everything whatever? Yeah. So in whatever you do, whether it's whatever you do, do it for Jesus. And so this is what it means to live a life worthy of our calling, to live having put on our new self to live as a new creation in Christ Jesus, to bring glory to God in word and deed in all we think, do and say. Our old life, our old way of doing things was rotten. It was all about me and my desires. But our new life in Christ is all about Jesus and what he desires for us. 
It's about showing love as we have been loved. It's about being kind as kindness was shown to us. It's about being patient as Christ is patient with us. Oh, is he patient with me? It's about being gentle and Christ gently applies his grace to our lives. It's about being peaceful as Christ has reconciled us to the Father. It's about being tolerant of our brothers and sisters in Christ as he is tolerant of us. We are family. We love each other. By this, the scriptures tell us that all men will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. What a way to bring the hope of the gospel through love. So put on your new self. Put to death the aspects of our old self. Eliminate sinful behaviours. Stop patterns of habitual sin and instead cultivate Christian virtues and live in our new life in Christ. This morning I'm going to close the message with prayer. I do this every time I pray because I want to invite God to help apply the teaching to our hearts, not just our minds, but to our hearts. And so this morning I want to pray and ask him to do that, to help us to put on our new self and to put off sinful patterns and instead develop those Christian virtues as a way of expressing the worthiness of our life in its renewed state in Christ. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for your word that that sharpens us, for your word that cuts into our heart and, Lord, your word that, that bores deep. Lord, we have gone through this message this morning and we have heard from the book of Colossians how we are to put off our old self and instead put on the new self, our new self that we have in you. Lord, I pray for, for many of us as we struggle at times with areas of sin, we struggle with so many different ways of, of placing things above you in our priorities that, Lord, we, we, we know we shouldn't. Making these idols of things around us that, that, Lord, take our focus and our attention away from honouring and serving you. Lord, please help us to, to put those things to death. Lord, before we were saved, we had a sinful nature. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to fight against that, guard our hearts and our minds so that everything we think, do and say brings glory to you. Because Lord, we can do that. We have died with you in baptism. We've been buried and we've been raised with you in our new life. And so Lord, may we live in that reality of our new life, our new self, putting on patience, kindness, gentleness, humility, self-control and love. Lord, may we put effort and energy into developing these these Christian virtues because, Lord, we want to honour you and bring glory to your name. And I pray that each of us, as we grow old and as we enter the later years of our life, Lord, we would be great examples to the next generations because we've spent decades and decades working on our hearts to honour you in whatever we do. And so, Lord, may we have many people in our congregation like my grandfather, like Ken, like Harry, who just ooze the Christian virtues that, Lord, you would have us 
develop and, and walk in every day as an expression of our new self. Lord, please help us, I pray. Lord, I just want to pray for Helen and for Rob as they're recovering from, from illness and from, uh, from surgery. And, and Lord, there's other people as well who we know are not well. So Lord, we want to bring them before you and ask that, Lord, you heal their bodies. Lord, we thank you for the great news that Rob is going home today much earlier than anticipated and expected. And so he's, he's, uh, he's recovering really well. I pray that that would continue also at home and that he would, he would take the moments to rest as his body needs and, and to do the right thing so he can be restored to full health. And pray for Helen also as, Lord, her plans change from instead of celebrating her birthday at home with family, Lord, it was in hospital. So, Lord, let us pray that you'd bring grace and, and mercy to her and that, Lord, you'd bring strength to her body and that, Lord, you'd heal the pneumonia that she has had. And so we ask for your grace and your forgiveness and your blessings upon us all as we leave this place here today. May we, in everything we think, do and say, bring glory to you. Amen.